Well, hello, and welcome to episode 10 of the Mission Innovate podcast from the Baptist Convention of Iowa. My name is Ben Bradley, BCI Communications and Outreach Director. I'm Chris Eller, BCI Associate Executive Director, and this podcast is devoted to discovering how your church can take its next step to multiply disciples, churches, and mission to fulfill the Great Commission. In this episode of the Mission Innovate podcast, BCI leadership and ministry development coach Chris Mavity continues digging into a framework for ministry called the Five Fundamental Skills for Church Leaders, which a church can utilize to harvest gospel fruit. This is part two of a four-part series, and in this segment, we're going to dig deeper into the first two of the five fundamental skills, recruit and train. You can download a PDF diagram of the five fundamental skills in the show notes. Here's the interview. So we've been talking about the harvest, and we introduced a framework that um, has five components to it. And you kind of, Chris, you gave us an overview, but this time we want to begin to dive into these individually. And this time we're going to look at recruit and train. So okay. how does this begin, um, if I'm new to this concept, wh- where would you start me? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> wow, it's great to be here again. Thank you pastors here in Iowa that are just, you know, killing it um, in a good way. Uh, uh, appreciate your, your ministry and, uh, what you're doing to add to the harvest. So, um, so where I would always start is with recruiting. And the reason to start for me with recruiting isn't that I'm brilliant. That's what Jesus did when he started his ministry. He said, Hey, why don't you guys just come follow me? I'll make you fishers of men. He recruited people. Um, and then, uh, cause why train somebody if they're not on, you know, your team or they're not, yeah, I mean, it makes no sense to me. Now I know there's a bunch of churches that are out there and they're like, well, let's train people. And then some of them might say yes or whatever. That's whatever, whatever works for you. I'm just telling you, I would start with recruiting and, um, uh, I recruit people to kingdom ministry, not to the church's ministry. And the reason I do that is because they have gifts from our king <laughs> to deploy in his kingdom, of which my church is one of the castles in that kingdom. And so I try to help people know and understand that, boy, what's going on in God's kingdom is much bi- bigger than just at our church. Now, I'm not trying to overwhelm them, but just, you know, that's a that's a pretty high calling, really. We each have that calling. So there's a couple hot tips I can give about recruiting or, or whatever. One of them we talked about last time, that is pray. Um, the very first thing to do before you recruit is to pray because the Holy Spirit knows more about the people in your church than you do. And, um, you know, uh, some people have facades and some people are even wolves in sheep's clothing that were warned about. Well, I, I want to stave those people off. Well, I don't know how to do that, but the Holy Spirit does. And so my first maybe hot tip in recruiting is start with prayer. Um, you're going to, you're going to probably hear that over and over and over again here at BCI, but Oh my goodness, if we don't need prayer in our culture today, we, you know, I mean, we, we need to pray. We need God's intervention in, in what's going on. So, um, so to me, recruit is the tip of the spear. So other than prayer, here's the most important thing I can try to articulate about recruiting to anybody. And that is care more about the person than the yes. That means when I sit down with a person and talk to them about this kingdom ministry and how they might be equipped to do uh, God's work, I care about them. 
Now, I know I have needs. I know pastors have needs. I know, hey, VBS is coming. I get that. I know we got hospitality holes. I, I, I know I know we're missing an usher. I, I, I understand that. I really do. I mean, I lived it 30-plus um, years. Recruiting works best when you have the best interest of the person at heart. Not their heart, but your heart. And um, I would suggest don't sit down with anybody until in your mind's eye and in your heart, you absolutely have their best interest at heart, not your best interest at heart. A pastor we both know, Phil Winfield, he has, you know, he's full of little quips. Winfieldism, I think we used to call them. Winfieldisms, yeah. And and one of them um, was, you know, people are a treasure, not a tool. Mm. And that always stuck with me that you have to be able to look at, at your church family as treasures. They're not there to help you fulfill your mission the Holy Spirit has placed them there to help fulfill His mission for that church, and they are treasures. And I think you're right. So often we get desperate in our attempt to fill the the roles of what we need to carry on our our ministry that we begin to see people as tools and not treasures. So that is a key piece. I'm so glad you brought that out. Well, you brought it out even better than I did, Chris. That that's a great phrase: treasures instead of tools. That's I'm going to steal that. From- from you, from Phil. Amen. <laughs> so thank you, Pastor Phil. Appreciate that. <laughs> so if let me get down into maybe the um, details a little bit more, but do you start with a, a description? I mean, when, when you're going to have a conversation with someone, um, do you have a, a description of what it is? Is it a, a written description or do you keep it pretty informal? Well, <clears throat> you can do either or. A lot of it's based on your own personality. There's sort of two kind of recruiting methodologies. One of them is we have this need. I need to fulfill the need. And when we do needs-based recruiting, we get the job done. The other is more missional oriented, and that is learning what makes the person tick and how they're wired. Um, when we recruit with a missional mindset, um, then the entire mission gets done. So one, I look at one is more temporary, one's more permanent, and, and both are valid. I'm not saying do one over the other. I'm saying understand there's two kind of methodologies. We have a need. We need to fulfill this need. And uh, if you've been in ministry very long at all, you probably have strengths and weaknesses that you've figured out. And uh, it doesn't matter if the toilets need to be cleaned. You go clean the toilets, right? You know, and if you're a pastor or church leader and you haven't cleaned toilets yet, your first job Monday mornings, go clean the toilets. I can remember a certain job I had, um, and uh, we'd, we'd harp on the uh, the receptionist a little bit once in a while for messing up calls, sending them to the wrong person and all that. And uh, my boss was wise, and he said, okay, you're on the switchboard for an hour. Guess how long it took the complaints to quit? That's a great tactic, isn't there it? There was never another complaint because everybody had to sit there for an hour and none of us knew what to do. Yeah, so. I'm going to quote a, a Mavityism <laughs> here. This is, this is a Mavity I remember from a long time ago. Nothing is impossible for the person who doesn't have to do it. <laughs> I don't know if that's original to yeah, you, but that, probably that, not. that always know. stuck with me. That, <laughs> I read that uh, somewhere, I'm sure. Nothing is impossible for the person who doesn't have to do it. Oh, my goodness. And so so another hot tip is right along this line is before you start recruiting somebody, remember when. In other words, remember when you first volunteered. Somebody mm-hmm. tapped you on the shoulder. For me, it was Gary King. 
And uh, Gary tapped me on the shoulder at the time we did door knocking around the community. He said, hey, will you go door knocking with me? I'm like, sure. Well, I'm driving home in the car and I'm like, oh, shoot. I just told Gary I'd go with him. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done it before. I had no clue. I started getting nervous, sweaty palms, the whole thing. Well, it's helpful for me to remember that when I'm recruiting somebody because it's called empathy. <laughs> we want to get in their shoes and go, okay, I know and understand that this is probably a stretch for you, even though hundreds of people have done it in the past and hundreds, yeah, it doesn't matter for them. It might be new. So when I get, um, when I remember when for me, it just helps me empathize. And uh, again, it kind of ties into that first one of care more about the person mm -hmm. than the yes. I care about the treasure uh, that God has uh, before us. And I want them to know that I care about them. Speak a little bit about the dichotomy that I see between um, oftentimes within the church, we, we call all these folks volunteers. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the word volunteer in my mind is someone raises their hand and, and says, I'll volunteer to serve. And yet you use the word recruit, which is a, a different connotation. And sometimes I think we can become passive when we're thinking volunteers, like they're just going to raise their hand. And if we don't, we're stuck. How how do you transition between that concept of volunteer? Because you wrote a book on volunteers. I it's, did. It, so there, it's out. It's a go get the book. Um, but recruiting and volunteers. How do you, as a pastor, how do you reconcile those two words? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think that uh, most of us don't. Uh, most of a congregation, they have no idea what it takes to put on what it is that we do. Most of them. Why do I say most? Well, because most people don't have a job in the church. And so they don't know what to raise their hand for. Uh, now, some maybe do if they, if they moved into town or something like that, and they have something that they really enjoyed doing at their other church or whatever, but those are few and far between. It's my job, okay, and it takes work. So first of all, it's my job. Then it takes work. I've never seen this on a job description. A, a church job description, but it's in the Bible, Ephesians 4. But it's my job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If I don't ask them, then two things happen. Number one, they might not know that there's a need. And number two, they might not know that they're valued. Mm -hmm. So now, have you ever been asked to do something and then that made you feel better about yourself? I mean, I have number of times by my wife, by my kids, by coworkers. I, man, I want to help out. Um, now there's some things I can't do. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not multi-talented. I know how to do a couple things. I'm really, I'm tall. So I'm good at changing light bulbs and cleaning the top of refrigerators. That's, I'm really good at those two things. I think that, you know, that we see that example in, in Christ too. I mean, none of the disciples that we see when Jesus called them, none of them were knocking on his door saying, hey, do you, do you have something for me to do? He went to them, and they were in the middle of other, actually, many of them really important things, but Jesus gave them, again, he was leading with his purpose, right, to bring the kingdom of God, and man, they responded to that. They sure did, and so, I mean, much of it's written. And so, here, here's an axiom for you. Um, we recruit volunteers, and we appoint leaders. That's good. So say that again, uh, we recruit volunteers, but we appoint leaders. 
Um, again, Ben, you made me think of this reading the gospels. I don't know how many times I've read them, but you know, a few hundred times, I'm sure by this point in my life, Jesus didn't recruit his apostles. He recruited disciples and then he chose, pointed, selected 12 out of those disciples. Don't get that backwards in your ministry. You need to see people in action and then invite them or appoint them or whatever the language you want into leadership. I never recruit to a leadership position. I recruit volunteers and then I appoint leaders. So there's an old infomercial that I was thinking about as we were talking and it was a, like a rotisserie machine or something. And the whole point of the infomercial was set it and forget it. Oh. You know, you could put whatever you yeah. want to cook in there. You push a button. Rod Popeil, right? Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> and, and you set it and forget it. And I think a lot of people take that approach to, um, to their volunteers. And, and so the next point you've got on here is train. Uh, volunteerism isn't something that you can just set and forget. How do you begin that process with the next step? So you've recruited them now, but now we need to train. Well, uh, the number one thing I can think about training is we just need to relax about it. Um, first of all, we need to do it, I guess, probably. But, you know, uh, you already brought that point out. But secondly, we often look for training material that's best of class. That's futile. Um, I know that Rick Warren or any one of a number of other pastors can come up with better training material than I can. But my people don't want to hear from Rick Warren. You know, they don't want to hear from whoever the pastor de jour is or, you know, they want to hear from me. And so I can learn from everybody, but I have to create my own material and then just kind of relax about it. Uh, because I guarantee you this, the material that you have is better than what they know right now. Amen. Yeah. Right. And so uh, here's what's in my mind whenever I'm doing training. I'm trying to influence future behavior. It's so important to think that way because we don't want to correct past behavior. That's discipline. That's not training. Training is influencing future behavior. Those of you that are parents, um, you want to train your kids, focus on focus forward uh, influence their future behavior. Don't try to correct their past behavior in, in, uh, training. Now I know that discipline is sometimes important and all that, but I just want to make a distinction between discipline and training. We train best when we understand that we're influencing the future behavior. We understand that adults are easy to train. A lot of people think adults aren't easy to train. They're easy to train with this caveat when they need to know something. <laughs> if they don't need to know it, you can't, you can't, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. Well, you can if the dog needs what, you know, so, and uh, so how do you as a pastor or church leader make sure that they need to know? And that's why recruiting and training are so tied because once I recruit somebody to a position, they need to know how to do it. So they're easy to train. And so the idea that I can use somebody else's material to train somebody in how we do ministry is just a, like, you can't do that because the culture's different, your systems and processes are different and all that. So make sure that you create your own training uh, for them, uh, training manual or notes or, you know, in any of that kind of a thing, and then just articulate to them what they need to know. So it's probably important to note, Chris, that there's two basic kinds of training in church world. 
should have started with this, actually. The first one is uh, orientation training. Uh, how do we orient people to the ministry? Uh, you know, that it that it's work, that we're servants. Now you think, oh, well, yeah, I know all that. Well, it's easy to train somebody that they're here to serve. It's really hard to train them when they get treated like a servant, <laughs> you know, by somebody in the church or a pastor or whatever. It's like, well, I'm supposed to serve. Well, yeah, but they're treating me this way. Oh, okay. Isn't that what, you know, so that's really hard in our culture today Mm -hmm. that I'm here to serve you, but when I'm serving you and you treat me like a servant, then I'm a little upset about that. So Mm -hmm. I'm chuckling now only because I'm remembering in my own, in my own life when I've, when I've done that, it's called immaturity. Amen. (laughs) uh, I mean, we got to have some kind of fun, right? So, so anyway, um, Understand that there's an orientation. If you skip the orientation steps that might seem a little boring to you, probably not boring to them uh, because we want to orient them to the ministry. Where's this? What to do if that happens? Just the very basic, uh, the very basic types, types of things. Um, and then ongoing training. Okay. So both are important. And I'm going to say something that, you know, I get a lot of flack for when I have the chance to speak at conferences and and so on and so forth. And that is this an ongoing training. What we want to do is minimize our skill set training. So explain that. Okay. Yeah. So doesn't that sound odd? So once you know how to usher, you don't want me training you how to be an usher over and over and over again. I relate it this way. I had the great privilege when my kids were little to teach them all how to ride a bike. I loved it. It was great thing for a dad, you know, the kids can ride the bike. Well, guess what happened after they knew how to ride the bike? They didn't need dad. They did not need dad anymore. And they didn't want dad around anymore. They got the bike so they could have freedom away from mom and dad. Right. And so, so I don't need to teach, uh, or train or, or harp on certain things that have to do with, in this case, ushering. But here's what I know. If my ongoing training focuses on improving them as people, they automatically become a better usher. They automatically, in other words, I focus on their mindset and their heart set for ongoing training, not their skill set. So we flip them. Oh my goodness. When I figured this out as a church leader, uh, the attendance at my training meetings went through the roof. So I was having a pity party one day because I put on these trainings. I think they're great, but the people didn't think they were great. How do I know that? Because they vote with their feet. They weren't coming. And I used to get mad at my people for that confession. Sorry. Um, as a pastor, it's like, look in the mirror. What's wrong with this picture, right? And it's like, well, I need to get mad at myself for not training them properly. And I'm like, okay, well, what is, and I thought of different people. And uh, it's like, what they really need to do is learn how to make better decisions, or learn conflict resolution, or learn how to communicate with others better. or what. And I started concentrating, again, ongoing training on kind of those life skills. And uh, the attendance went up and up and up and up. And finally, people started coming up to me and saying, you know, I love coming to your trainings better than any training I get at my work. Oh, okay. 
well, now I've probably, now I'm hitting the mark, probably, in, in most cases anyway. And it all came from this idea of don't worry about the skill set, do that in orientation training, but then concentrate on life skills and making them or helping them become a better person. Um, people last a long time that way. I was, I was thinking this kind of is an extension of that uh, care more about the person mm. Mm. and also <sighs> seeing okay. them as a participant in kingdom ministry. You know, this, this is part of this where that's emphasizing the discipleship aspect of, because, you know, again, we don't want to see someone as a tool, just like, you know, I've got something for you to do. Now you're going to do it. And then that's it. But these are opportunities for discipleship to happen in your church and with that kind of training, it sounds like it's getting a little bit more toward that heart as well. Seeing them as a person, seeing them as a ministry, um, as a minister of the gospel serving in your church. Yeah, I appreciate you pointing that out, Ben. I think that that's a manifestation, you know, of that. Um, now, I'm certainly not uh, saying that it's not important that we outline for them their role, their responsibility, the outcomes that you want, the boundaries that they work in. And, you know, right. if they're making coffee, here's how the coffee maker works. And, you mm -hmm. know, uh, here's what's going to happen if you, you know, forget to switch something, you're going to have coffee all over the floor. By the way, there's the mop right. to, you know, mop, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there's, there's these details and they are important. I'm not saying skip that. Mm -hmm. I'm saying both and. Right. And I'm saying for ongoing training, people don't want to learn how to ride the bike again. Yeah. You know, um, so and at, at a root level, this is discipleship, right? It's totally I mean, discipleship. It, a lot of times we have trouble defining discipleship, but when you are helping someone become an usher and they're learning to do it in a Christ-like manner, uh, that's discipleship. I mean, they're learning how, mm -hmm. rather than just standing at the door handing out a worship folder. You are engaging with people, and you're you're welcoming them in. There's a it, it's a broader thing than just a skill set. It's becoming Christ-like in your ministry. That's discipleship. Yeah, perfectly well said, Chris. In fact, um, I had two rules for the volunteer teams that I led, and um, we eradicated the "I'm just a volunteer" language immediately. I mean, people would say that one time because all my volunteers would say, "Oh, don't say that around Mavity." <laughs> You know, they learned right away. There's no such thing as just a volunteer. And I personally looked at our volunteers as our disciples. That's yep. how it, I mean, my mindset was they're not volunteers, they're disciples. And they're mm -hmm. carrying out their part in the kingdom. And it's my job to equip them to do that. And I think mm -hmm. that's, it, it comes back to the original overarching goal is purpose, right? And And purpose. so you said from the very beginning, this is a kingdom mindset. And if you're teaching someone to make coffee and their only thought is, I need to make a good cup of coffee, that's not connecting it with your purpose, mm. with kingdom mindset. But if they see that as a part of their role in the kingdom, then it becomes discipleship. It's like they are, they are contributing to the kingdom and they can, it changes in their heart. It's, it's no longer, I'm just making coffee, mm -hmm. but I am serving people. And as a servant, I have, you know, again, we're back to the relationship. I mean, if you're developing those relationships, even if it's me teaching you how to make coffee and while we're doing it, I'm I'm exhibiting a Christ-like behavior to you, that's discipleship. Yeah, amen. Wonderful. And uh, it 
makes me think of a gentleman, Rocky's his name. I recruited him to be a coffee maker uh, at North Coast. And uh, Rocky was still making coffee when I left. Um, and that was 18 years. He was a coffee maker. And you could not get him away from the coffee. No, no, no. Now, you don't make coffee for 18 years at a church if you're just making coffee. He saw it as his responsibility and no, we can't, no, we can't serve that. That's been sitting too long. It has to be hot. We can't have anybody not having hot coffee. Yeah. I mean, he, he loved it. And somebody might say, well, it was just making coffee. Well, not to him. It was exactly Chris, what you're saying. Rocky was serving those that were part of this castle in God's kingdom, showing hospitality in such a way to make them comfortable and receptive to not only God's word, but how to worship God, setting them. I mean, it, it was a whole thing for him. So uh, so that's well said. I want to just get one more thing in as it relates to ongoing training. Very, very practical. And that is how often do you meet? Here's when you meet. Only when it matters. If you meet and it doesn't matter, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a bad thing. So you realize yeah. you just... Everyone who has monthly training meetings, you just burst that bubble, right? Yeah, like I used to do, you know, this scenario I described earlier where people weren't coming. I was upset because they weren't coming to my monthly training meetings. And why don't well they don't come because there's no value. And there's no value because I wasn't delivering the proper value. You know, I, I had to turn the mirror around and look at myself and say, What well, you know, they're not screwing up, you're screwing up. When I'd started delivering value, guess what? They voted with their feet and they were there. We had some of our best times in these training meetings, but I didn't meet monthly. I, I shifted it. And uh, Stan McNeil actually is the guy that helped me with it because I was having a pity party with Stan and uh, telling him how, you know, my life sucked and all that kind of stuff, of which it didn't. He's like, well, Chris, I've been to those meetings. I know, Stan, you're there all the time. How come no? He's like, well, they're kind of boring, Chris. Ugh. the wounds of a friend, yep. right? Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. It, it helped me a lot. Now, he had to have the courage to tell me that, but I had to be receptive and change. Long story short, the meetings got better, much more uh, fulfillment, and uh, the kingdom grew as a result. Hopefully, you've picked up several new tips and ways to recruit new workers in your church and train them to participate in ministry. In the next episode of the Mission Innovate podcast, we'll cover the third and fourth skills in the five fundamental skills framework, place and support. One critical takeaway question from this episode is, when was the last time you had a conversation to recruit a new ministry worker to serve in your church?